You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. And good morning, everybody. So today, we're launching a new series called Growing in Faith and Truth. It's gonna be on the Gospel of John. And uh, one of the challenges that I had with this was I had a lot of information regarding the background. And so I'm gonna have to uh, intersperse this. In other words, every week I'll be laying some foundations regarding that. But uh, we're gonna read a passage, John chapter two, verses one through 12. And I'm gonna ask everybody to stand, if you would, for the reading of the word. And then uh, we'll begin the preaching and teaching today. So John chapter two, verses one through 12. Let's read this together. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six uh, water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. Now, Jesus, I pray as the word is taught today that it helps us to grow in our trust, to grow in the expressions of the values of the Christian faith. I pray that our mindset is is changed, is, is transformed, that what we do, what we say, how we present ourselves is reflective of the work that you've done in us. And we pray these things today in Jesus' name and everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you and be seated. So I'm gonna be preaching this series all the way up to Easter. So we're working our way through various passages of John and then I'll be wrapping it up on Easter Sunday Sunday, and we'll be utilizing uh, the account that John had in relationship to Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, About four and a half years ago, I did a series on the Gospel of John. And so we're doing this again for a little more information, some other uh, things to share in relationship to some of the things. But one, one of the dynamics that I told you that I had was I went through everything that I thought you needed to have as a backdrop to the Gospel of John. And when I finished it, I had five minutes left to preach. So I was like, okay, that's not going to work because it'll just sound like a a huge, massive uh, history lesson. So I'm going to be layering pieces of this out as appropriate for the scripture that we will be addressing. So every week you're going to hear another aspect, another uh, backdrop as it relates to the gospel of John. But one of the things we're gonna start off with today is looking at the gospel of John. It's one of four gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And John was the one who actually wrote his last. In fact, at this point in time, uh, we think that John is actually the last surviving, one of the last surviving original apostles. And so you kind of come to the conclusion, why, why did he feel necessity to write his gospel when there were already three that were getting well circulated and they all tell the story of Jesus? Some of them have a little bit of overlap. So one of the things that I want to do is, first of all, give you a couple things to help you to appreciate. And I will tell you this, this is designed to help you when you read the Gospel of John on your own. You'll notice up here it says, shocking facts about the Gospel of John. 
How many are ready to get shocked? <laughs> so what happens is, is sometimes we go to the Bible and we're unaware of how much we're influencing it with our own prejudices and our own biases. So I'm gonna give you some, some, I'm gonna call word data on the gospel of John. And it's probably, I know it's gonna rock some of you. Did you know he only used the word faith one time? Now I can see the Google Meisters are out right now. <laughs> Double checking pastor, really? That whole book, he only used the word, he only used it one time. He also uh, only used the word salvation one time. Some of you are going, Pastor, I don't like where this is going. You're, you know, you're, you're rocking me. No, I just want to let you know this is how we go to something with some biases and we don't see some things that are there and we're, we're sometimes parachuting our own views on this. He also only used the word Savior one time. And see, we, you know, we read the Gospel of John and we read these great stories of Nicodemus where it says, be born again. We read the story. We got those great verses, for God so loved the world. And then we come to these facts, you know, he only says faith one time, he says salvation one time, he says savior one time, and you know, he only used the word born again twice, and it was within literally the same verse, and he never mentions it again. He never said anything before about it, he says born again, and then he moves on, and he never mentions it again. Some of you are going, please save this message, pastor. <laughs> Hang on, there's more. And he only used the word save four times. <laughs> so you know, you look at that, and you kind of go, well, I always thought the Gospel of John was orientated to that. It is, but he was looking at it from a different angle. He obviously felt after the other three Gospels were wrote that there's more that needed to be told. So here we go. Here's some helpful facts about, notice I said now we're out of the shock factor. How about I give you something helpful? 10 of you, the vote's going up, man. 10 of you. So what, do, what does he talk about then? What are his themes? Well, he uses the word father 109 times. He only says savior one time. He uses the word father 100. Guess what he's trying to tell you? He wants you to see him as a father. He's more than just the savior. He wants that relationship. He also uses this word, believe, 84 times. The problem wasn't faith, it was actually believing enough. There were, it was more than just, well, I believe that he existed. He's saying, no, I need you to believe in what he said and what he did and what he's asking you to do. So he, he replaces the word faith with believe. And he says it 84 times. He then also talks about, and he uses the word over, no, no, no. 83 times. He's saying, you can know. See, this is a, a, a society that has a lot of plurality as it relates to gods. There's all these types of gods. There's this God. And he's trying to say, this is not just another option. This is the God. And you can know him. And you need to believe in him. He also uses this, the word truly, truth, or true, 66 times. He's making a point. This is not just a way. This is the way. Because he's, he realizes all the gods that are in society out there. And he's making a point. This is the truth. This is the one. He's not a God. He is the God. He then goes on and he uses the word world 57 times. So he's not afraid to talk about what's out there in the world and he's acknowledging it. And then he uses the word love 39 times. I don't know about you, but if my wife told me 39 times to, about love in a letter, I would say she's trying to make a point. <sighs> Somehow I would not feel if she wrote me one letter and had love in there 39 times, I would say that it's moving beyond a suggestion. She's correcting Okay, and then he uses the word spirit, which was referring, notice it's the big S, not the smallest, big S, spirit, Holy Spirit. He mentions it 19 times. He is setting up the fact that the spirit is active with Jesus, and then when Jesus dies and is resurrected and ascends to the Father, the Holy Spirit will be the one that is continuing the ministry of Jesus here through us. So I just want you to look at that. You ought to, you know, if you ought to, Put that in your Bible right in front of John. So the next time you read the Gospel of John, you have the frame of mind of where he's coming from. This is a book about knowing God 
as your father, not as a savior. Yes, he is the savior, but he's moving beyond that, that God wants an intimate relationship with you, you to him and him to you. He wants this to be a personal relationship, a, a dynamic where, so the best way to describe Christianity is this. It's a relationship with God and a relationship with one another. It's not coming to observe God. We don't observe God. We participate. Have you ever noticed the songs that we sing? Do you notice sometimes the songs are written to Jesus? Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, there's songs we sing about Jesus, but there's also songs that you're singing to Jesus. We believe it's a personal relationship. Even when we sing, I'm not singing to you. Some people say, well, I, I, I don't like that song. Well, that's great. We weren't singing it to you. <laughs> well, I didn't get much out of worship. Good, because you, we weren't worshiping you. And listen, you weren't supposed to get anything out of it. We were providing a vehicle for you to give something. See, we get our frame of mind wrong. I'm supposed to come and get something out of worship. No, you're supposed to come and give something in worship. See, we, we start twist, twisting the values of Christianity. Worship is where I come to give him something. But we, we, we change these things ever so slightly and we put ourselves at the center Come on, everybody said amen. amen. All right, so here's a little more. I, th I thought of this just the other day. <laughs> what does it say? Yeah, so what I want you to recognize, and I'm gonna expand on this here a little bit. How does that look? Don't lead with your biases and prejudices. Let's follow the evidence and let the evidence speak. I did that with those words, right? You say, what's... Well, the emphasis is this. Oh, it's not the emphasis. No, it's look at the words that he was using. I want you to see what his emphasis was. But see, we lead, we lead with biases. Now, some of those biases are still true. He's the savior of the world. You know, we can have salvation, blah, blah, all, born again, all those true. But he had a much bigger message that he was trying to communicate in the gospel. Okay, it was more than that. He didn't develop those themes to the degree that sometimes we just think it is. He was developing something else. He was saying, this is the real God. This is the true God. You don't have to take my word for it. You can know it. And it, you can know it, you, and it's true. And by the way, he doesn't want to be a God. He wants to be your father. He is expanding on the fact that this is personal. And it's not a surprise when you read the relationship that John had with Jesus, okay? If you go through the gospel accounts, he was considered Jesus' best friend, okay? Of the 12, John was considered to be the closest to Jesus, Here's some other things you might want to know. Did you know that 90% of the gospel of John is not found in Matthew, Mark, or Luke? That's the reason he wrote what he wrote. He knew so much that never made the other three gospels, and he's getting up in years, and he thinks they need to know this. Why? Because he was Jesus' closest friend. So he's sharing a lot of information that never made the other three gospels from a personal standpoint. So there's a lot there for us to learn. Now, here's the other side. When you're in America, when you write a thesis paper, how many know you write your theme out, your thesis first, and then you try to prove it? Okay, what, you've never written a paper? Okay. Well, if you did write a paper, okay, you state your thesis and then you, you try to prove it throughout the paper. See, and, and that's Western ideology. This was written in Eastern ideology. They actually did it the other way around. They gave the thesis at the end. So you go to John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. He summarizes everything that he's just written. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in his book. Boy, how many know that'll cause your brain to start wondering? Ooh, what else did he do? How did he do it? And, you know, I mean, it can just cause your imagination to go all over the place. But these are written that you may believe. Notice that? Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, he doesn't say put your faith, believing, you may have life in his name. He substitutes word believe that many times we would have used the word faith. 
Yeah, they can be somewhat synonymous, yeah. But his thing is no. And by the way, he's writing to a lot of people who aren't, don't have a heritage in the faith, so he's trying to use language to get them to connect better. Now, one last thing about it. Did you know he only has seven miracles? Again, here go the Google Meisters. I can imagine if John would have written his gospel today, there would have been so many Christian critics all over him. He only mentions salvation once. He only mentions him as a savior once. They would be casting his book aside because, quote, it didn't contain enough of their language. I'm telling you, sometimes the worst enemies of Christianity are Christians. You know, we get, we get all work. Oh, he's seeker sensitive. That's why he's staying away from those, those words. I'm like... See, you didn't do your homework, you don't understand. And so you're parachuting your biases and prejudices on this. He, he's writing for a different purpose than what you have in mind, but he's writing the gospel as he knows it. He only records seven miracles. All the other gospels, man, it's miracle after miracle after miracle. These are the seven that he, he accounts for. Why? Because he's trying to show, again, have you ever heard, you hear me say this, relationship? He's pushing relationship. You don't show up to observe Jesus. You don't show up because you want to see signs and wonders. You don't show up because you want to see stuff. You show up because he's your dad. You love him not for what he does for you. You love him for who he is. He's dad. He's father. You relate to him that way. You're not trying to get him to be some kind of magic genie to fix all the problems that you think he needs to fix in your life. You're coming to him because he loves you. And you love him. And from that relationship, stuff does happen. God's power is released, but he's showing that is available because of relationship. All right, I think that's it. No, it's not. <laughs> the miracle of turning the water into wine is rarely preached. And when it is, it misses John's purpose in recording. You know, most people, they go to, see, Jesus had wine. And I'm like, and you're missing the whole point of the story. See, you're so agenda-driven because you have something that you want to justify. You're making a story speak to something that the story was recorded and it had nothing to do with the bias that you wanted to speak to. And I'm going to show you what the purpose of the story was, what it was illustrating. It says in verse 11 of the passage we read, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and everybody finish it with me, and his, this was the pivotal point. The disciples said, he's the real deal. Hey guys, he's not a teacher, he's not, he's not just a teacher. This is him. This was the moment when the dots started connecting and they went, he's not just a great teacher. He's not just a great guy. This is God's son. So that's why, the, that's why John, John was, you know, he's going back and he, you know, when did it all aha for them? And John goes, I remember when it all aha for us. It was that wedding in Cana. Man, and nobody, nobody wrote about it. I need to tell our story. That's when, the, that's when we went, if he says follow, we gotta do this. I'm following this guy because he's the real deal. This is the Messiah that everybody's been praying for and he's right here. Now, we're gonna work through a couple things here this morning. Five points. So don't ask too many questions. Number one, read it out loud. The miraculous. So the miraculous is what let them see that Jesus was the Messiah. 
that he was who he said he was. And in the story, it says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Do you notice he makes a point to point out that not only is Jesus's mother there and the disciples, they make a point to point out that Jesus is at the wedding? It's hard to have a miraculous miracle in your life if you've told Jesus not to show up. <laughs> Happens every day. People use his name in vain. They'll curse him. They'll use him as a swear word. They'll say, ah, I don't buy into all that religious stuff. I don't need all this, X, Y, Z. They just fill in the blanks. You've heard all the excuses. And then a crisis happens and they make the statement, where's God? Man, I don't, want to be dis I don't want to be rude. I don't say it at the moment that it happens, but under these conditions, can I just give you the straight answer? I can tell you where he is. You told him to leave and he left. You said bug out. You said you wanted nothing to do with him. And now life hits and you are mad at God because he's not there. How's he supposed to do a miracle at a wedding if you don't invite him? A man reaps what he sows. I know that's a hard truth. And John is trying to show that the things that Jesus did flowed from relationship with him. He's not your panic button that you hit to get what you want and then go back to whatever it is that you were doing before. It's a relationship that you cultivate and in that relationship, he manifests through who he is and he manifests his power. The miraculous begins with Jesus being in the room and being in your life. Even if I don't need a miracle, I want Jesus in the room because I never know what's gonna happen. But here's the thing, I don't have him there as an insurance policy. I have him there because of a relationship. Recognizing that just like you, I need a savior, I need a Lord, I need a heavenly father, I need that. And so you cultivate that, you bring it into your life. Number two, read it out loud. Understanding who he is Understanding who he is and who we are. This is a passage that most people read and they're going, have no idea what's going on here. And I can tell you this, not only is what we read about earlier or what I read a little bit ago about the disciples, this is the pivotal moment when they believed, okay? This is a pivotal moment in Jesus's personal life. But because we don't understand the culture, we, we read this and we go, seems a little awkward, but okay. I'm sure there's a reason and we just move on. So how about I explain it to you? Okay, all 12 of you, that's good. Here we go. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Can I just pause there? I can never think of a time that I would ever call my mother woman. <laughs> and still be standing under my own power. My mother's 85. If I, when I'm FaceTiming her, if I said, hey, woman, she would figure out a way to get here to continue that conversation and bring correction. She just would figure that out. I don't know how she'd do it, but she would make phone calls and she's gonna be showing up on my doorstep saying, boy, don't you ever call me woman again. I am your mother, don't you forget it. So you're going like, what, what? Okay, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So you're kind of like, whoa, you know, I mean, like, what's, what's going on here, you know? Seems a little disrespect. And by the way, teenagers, never do this. <laughs> okay, there's a culture thing going on here. Let me tell you what's going on. If you go into the uh, Greek word, the word woman is actually, the Greek word that he uses is a very respectful term. 
It is translated correctly, but it is a very respectful phrase that he used. It would be like you calling somebody, um, you, they're a friend, you know who they are, and you instead of calling them by their first name, remember because of the environment, you say, hey, miss such and such, or misses such and such. You know, that, that conversation where we try to show respect to a person, and so we use those prefixes of miss or misses, and he used that kind, he was, he was actually using an honorable phrase, but by using that phrase, he was also notifying his mother about something that had changed. He was basically saying, I have a new authority. I've come, in, I've come of age. I am now under a new authority. You're my mom, but you're not my mom of authority who can tell me what to do anymore. Okay, let's, let's fast forward. Let's look at our lives today. Some of you, your children are raised they're out of the house. They're still your sons. They're still your daughters, right? Okay. But you soon realize, if you, if you don't know this as a parent, I'm saving you a lot of trouble. <laughs> there comes a day you can no longer tell them what to do. You take on an advisory role. If you want to maintain a relationship, you better get out of the telling business and become more of an advisor, a sounding board. And they make decisions from time to time that you wouldn't make. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I know you go, oh, man, I wouldn't do that, you know? I, would. I know you wouldn't, but you're not them. You let them live their life. You love them by honoring, yeah, but they could have gotten a better deal if they had talked to me. You know, they're, they're getting taken advantage. Just, just, okay. And then sometimes their choices don't work out good and they come and they tell you their choices didn't work out good. Don't lead the conversation with, well, if you had asked me, you act surprised like you didn't know that was gonna work. <laughs> really, yeah. Oh. I know you put your heart and soul. Yes, I did. Okay, all good. What do you think you ought to do? You, don't, you know what I'm saying? You have to understand as a parent, you're not an authority. You're an advisor. Okay? Okay? That's, this, this is the beauty of being a grandparent. Because I'm not an authority, I'm not responsible for when my grandkids misbehave. My job is to give them opportunity to be happy with Papa G and Nana. If there's a problem, we hand them back to their parents and tell them, your children. My grandkids are fine, but your children. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah. yeah. So he's, what he's telling her is, you knew this day was coming. You've known since the day I was conceived in you what my assignment was. You know, you, you know who my dad is. And today's the day that while I'm still your son, authoritatively speaking, I'm out from under your authority. Today, I launch my mission that God has put me here to do. And so that's why he said, why are you involving me? And I want you to see her, notice he says, my hour has not yet come. He's saying, listen, you, you're, you don't tell me when to reveal myself as God's son. That's my call. Now, what did Mary say? Okay, and again, Let's get it in the context and let's look at how she responded. If she was going to be authoritative with him, she would have taken a step up and gone, you just do what your mama says. She didn't say that. She backed it off because she realized this is the day I knew was coming and it's today. And she looks at the servants and says, you do what he tells you. She did not say, do as I tell you. She backed off, do as he tells you. 
This is, this is when, this was a pivotal moment in Jesus' personal life. Just as much as it was a pivotal moment for the disciples. Jesus was making that sever that everybody has to make with their home life when they come of age. Okay? And the disciples also, this was their aha moment. And that's why John recorded it. It's like, man, I can't believe the other three. This was like, this was the aha moment for everybody. So John wants to include it in his story. So Mary recognizes who she is. The disciples recognize who they are. And they all recognize who Jesus is. Number three, read it out loud. The miraculous. We have to put some skin in the game. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. This would have been roughly 165 pounds all the way up to about 260 pounds. So when full, not easy to handle. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw water out, some, or now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. Two things I want you to take note of here. The first thing of it is, notice he had them fill the water. Now there's Christians today who would be telling God this. Well, if he's got that kind of power, he can fill it himself. They'll say, well, you know, you just got to sit back and let God, you know, let go, let God, you know, he, he's got it. And I'm like, you know, you miss it. Faith without works is, so we have to put some skin in the game. So he says, you, you go fill those jugs, those jars, you do it. Now, listen, filling those things up didn't create the miracle, but it set the stage for it. And so many times, People are wanting to see the miraculous, and let me just summarize it this way. The miraculous happens when God, God's people serve. But people don't want to serve, and then they sit back as armchair Christian quarterbacks. Man, I'd love to see a miracle. Well, then go get your hands dirty. Because the miraculous happens where God's people are putting their hands on things, trying to make a difference, knowing that it's inadequate, but I'm gonna do what I can. And then sometimes you, it, you can do it. And God says, let me help you out. I can do a lot better than you. And it goes way above beyond what we ever thought. And we're just kind of standing back. And it's just God saying, you know, I work through the hands and the feet of my people. But if those hands and feet are not in contact with the needs of the world, there's no miraculous. Because I work through my people. The second thing is this. This is just a little history. Verse seven. Fill the jars with water. Notice, why did he add, so they filled them to the brim? I mean, how, it seems like kind of unnecessary information. You would go, well, duh. Wouldn't they do that? Actually, they wouldn't. They would, it's just, he's taking note that they did. Why is it noted? So I gotta tell you about a custom they had, and then you'll see how this translates into this. So there was a parable that Jesus said, you always put new wine and new wineskins and the old wine and the old wineskins. And what that was doing is prevent, preventing fermentation because if it fermented, it could explode the bag. So if you put new wine in an old bag, it could cross it up and it would, it would, the gases would fill it up and you could have something on your hip carrying this and it would explode. What was, that, what was that thing they were carrying? So you probably recognize they didn't necessarily have the public water works that a lot of our communities have. You had wells, you had streams and that. And so when you were traveling, the water definitely tasted different from community to community based on the source and the, ge the geology of the community. And so what they would do is they would, they would take grapes and they would crush them and they would boil it down and they would literally create some kind of grape, uh, some kind of fruit juice, grape juice concentrate. And they would carry it in the pouch. And then when traveling, they would extract water from a stream or a well. And of course, because they weren't in that community, they may not like the flavor of it. So they would take this thing off their hip, squirt a little of that juice in it, give it some nice flavor and drink it. Plus it gave a nice little quick pick-me-up. Everybody got that? So they never filled anything to the top because they had to leave room for the squeezed juice. 
There's a reason he said they filled it to the brim. Because the natural thinking was, well, we know what happened. Somebody came along and emptied their pouches and made it that way. They filled it to the brim so there was no room to do that little gig. This was a sign that this water turning to wine is the real legitimate thing. It wasn't somebody came along and dumped their grape juice, fruit juice concentrate in and made it that way. Everybody got it? It's a little bit of information because it's kind of like John's going, I already know what people are going to say. We know how he did it. So he mentions, by the way, did we tell you it was filled to the brim? There was no room for anybody to do something like that. I just thought it was cool. <laughs> hey, when you're studying stuff and you find that, you want to tell somebody. <laughs> All right, number four, read it out loud. God desires to do more than we expect. God always goes above and beyond. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that he had turned into wine. He did not realize where it come from. The miracle, listen, the miracle didn't happen in front of the guy who was drinking it. It happened in front of the ones who were serving it. Ah. He did not realize where it come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everybody, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much drink. But you save the best till now. God always does above and beyond what you thought he could do. If you'll just ask for his help, you'll find out that he's gonna go way above and beyond what you even thought could happen. We have, my wife and I have experienced, we, listen, stop giving God the solutions to your problems. Ask him to show you how he wants to solve it. He will probably have a solution that is way above and beyond what you ever thought possible. I toyed around with some illustrations on this. And I was really hesitant to do what I'm about to say because of where we are as a congregation and it could look like I'm being some presumptuous and I don't mean it to be this way. But these are stories because they're visual aids to you. And hopefully as you walk through this place again and you see these, you will understand what this point is about. When we were under construction about seven and a half, eight years ago, I got a call one day and the drywaller, the guys who were doing all the drywall work, they got a hold of me and they said, hey, we need to meet you at the sanctuary. Now, I've been at this long enough to go, they never call you to tell you they're having a good day. <laughs> so, you know, my heart's like, oh, shoot, you know, what could it possibly be? I mean, all you're doing is screwing drywall to the wall. What could possibly be wrong? What could have happened, you know? So I get over here early in the morning. We're actually, we're at this door over there. And the guy who's the, the owner of the business says, hey, you know, you know, you're having us do this work and, you know, we're supposed to be doing this, this ceiling stuff for you. And he said, can we just be honest with you? That really looks bad what you guys want to do. I go, okay, well, thanks for your comment and your input. He goes, look, we just got done doing a, um, a fine arts theater, performance theater, you know, towards the Washington, D.C. area. And we built these really cool clouds. And he goes, I got some pictures here. And he showed me these clouds. And I was like, whoa, man, those are really cool. He said, oh, yeah, they're really awesome. It'll show, it totally changes. It'll change the dynamic of the room compared to what you're trying to do. And I was like, you know, okay, got the point. You don't have to keep running me down. <laughs> and he says, you know, uh, what do you think? I said, well, yeah, you know, but... Yeah. <laughs> Everything costs money. I mean, come on, what, what do you want us to do? I said, I, you know, I, I, I can't give you the okay on the spot. I don't, we don't spend money like that here. I'd have to, he goes, no, 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 no. He says, uh, we want to do it for free. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no, guys and I got together. We, we want to build these clouds for your church. None of those guys went here. So as you look up, that's God doing exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond what we were asking. Every day. Another day, there was guys doing, running, they were running the wires. We, we tried to be anticipating what would be needed. And so we were running all these communication, internet wires all over the building so that whenever we needed to do something, the wires were already there. And so we're doing this. And the heating and cooling guy comes to me and he says, what, what, you know, what's all this wire stuff? And I said, well, you know, we're doing this. Oh, so you guys are going to be putting it in here. He said, I said, well, we're not going to be putting it in. <laughs> we're running the wires so that when we can do it, 
the wires are there. He says, like, what? I said, well, you know, we want to run TV monitors here and here and, you know, in the cafe and the kids' rooms and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I said, that's a lot of TVs. And you've probably noticed they can't be small. They got to be big, you know. So we're, you know, so we'll have all the wires in place, but essentially, you know, we're just going to have to wait, but at least everything's in spot. A few hours later, he got back. He says, hey, I need to see you at the ministry center. I came back. I said, what's up? He said, uh, you have a problem if I buy all your TVs for you? I said, let me check my getting offended file. <laughs> you know, that uh, getting offended file, uh, that's not in there. <laughs> all these TVs were purchased by the heating and cooling guy. Now, what that has to do with heating and cooling and TVs, I have no idea. I can tell you a story. Stop telling God how to fix your stuff. Just say, show me how you want to do it. And I'm in. Okay? Show me how you want to do it. And I'll do it. But don't give God the step-by-step -step because he's probably going, you're so small in your thinking. <laughs> you, you act like if I do it your way, that's the only way to get it done. Can I tell you, God's got streams and you and I have never dreamed of. Just say, God, help us. Everybody said amen. amen. All right. Last one. Read it out loud. The challenges of life are opportunities for God to reveal his glory. And that's what I read here earlier. What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. A lot of times we complain about the things that come our direction. And we go, why is this happening to me? Can I just say, listen, every challenge is an opportunity for God to reveal his glory through that problem. Every one of them. It's an opportunity because usually people know what's going on and they know you're in a jam. And for God to come alongside and solve that problem, that's your opportunity to make God known to the content. Because everybody thinks in this culture, so many people don't believe in God's activity anymore. They think Christianity is showing up to observe God. And I'm telling you, showing up is coming to experience God. It's not just observing. We still believe that he, do, he does things. And so that Everybody says, well, I want to see a miracle. I said, whoa, now wait a minute. You realize if you need a miracle, that means you have to have an unsolvable problem. How many would say, oh God, they need a miracle. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you don't think of it. Oh, I'd love, to, I'd, lo I'd love to experience a miracle. Well, then you're gonna have to have an unsolvable problem. How about this? Show me your glory and your power and I'll stand behind it. If you have to use my life and some need in my life to get that done, so be it. But God, help me to make you known in the circle of family and friends that you have placed me in. If that means I have to be positioned to where I have to have an unsolvable problem that only a miracle can solve, that's fine. The point is, I am not going to tell you how to do this. Show me your activity, I'm in. I don't even have to pray about it, I'm making a commitment. If I see what you're doing, I'll stand behind what you're doing. Opportunities for God to reveal His glory. Listen, when you have an unsolvable problem and people hear that it gets solved, they ask you, what happened? Oh my goodness, talk about teeing it up for you. If you can't hit a home run with that man, then you got other issues. Jesus used my life to help the people closest to me see you're the real deal. So they believe. And everybody said amen. Come on, stand to our feet as we wrap up the service this morning. Would you do that? All over this place, would you just lift your hands? And I want you to praise him that he's a God who wants to be your father. Man, what an honor to have a heavenly father such as that. Come on, lift your hands and praise him.
As we move towards the conclusion of the service, I'm gonna ask that everyone bow their heads this morning. And I wanna give people an opportunity to accept Jesus. You say, how are you gonna do that? In just a second, I'll say if you would like, if you will be receiving Jesus when I lead in a prayer this morning, I'd like you to lift your hand. Now listen, when you do that, all I'm gonna say is, I see your hand and that means you can put it down. I'm not gonna do anything to draw unwanted attention. I'm not gonna do anything to embarrass you. But you just say, Pastor, I want you to know that if you lead this congregation in prayer today, I will be accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It is time I start a relational journey with Jesus today. And if that's you today, can I see your hand? Say, today's my day. Yes, sir. Say, I'm gonna be doing this. Yes, yes, yes. Say, I'm gonna be asking Christ. Yes. Anybody else? Come on, everybody in this place, say it out loud, dear Jesus. Today's the day that I take responsibility for my spiritual life. Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to forgive me and I'm asking you to become my Lord and Savior. Today's a new day for me because of you. Today I start my relational journey as a follower of Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a praise. Can you do that? Come on. Now those of you who accept Christ, I'm gonna ask you to do two things. You say, you're not gonna embarrass me. No, I'm not gonna embarrass you. Listen to me, two things. In just a few more minutes, I'll be dismissing the service. And everybody in this place will be, you know, conversation, you know, and just saying things to each other. Can I just use you, James? Is that all right? So James says, hey, and James says, hey, good to see you. I'm going to go, James, I need to tell you something. And he's going to say, what? I accepted Jesus. You're to hijack the conversation. How many are okay with somebody hijacking the conversation with that today? Let me see your hand. Okay. Yeah. I accepted Jesus. Let them celebrate that with you. The second thing is, as you leave and you're headed outside, you'll see by the doors, bags that say, follow Jesus. Please take one of those. Uh, we put it together to help you in the relational journey. Before we get ready to wrap up, I'm gonna ask the connection group leaders and some of the church leadership, would they make their way to the front? I know that in a congregation this size, there's always somebody who needs a miracle, or you got a family member or a friend, or you have a need for something else. It's not our intent to do anything to embarrass you, but we also don't want to send you out the doors and you said, man, I needed somebody to pray. Right now, right here is your opportunity. We're going to sing, make your way, and then I'm going to dismiss everybody else. But come on, sing it now. Jesus from the mountain and Jesus in the streets and Jesus in the darkness over every of God, I'm going to ask you to lift your hands and I'm going to say the blessing and we will go. But listen, as you go, if you still want to come forward for prayer, these people will stay here as long as they are needed. But come on, as I say the blessing now, I bless you in the name of the Lord. May he bless you in this city and in this county. May the fruit of your womb and the crops of your land and all your livestock be blessed. May he bless the work of your hands at home, at work, at church. May he bless the work of your hands in this community. May he bless your coming and your going. May the Lord grant the enemies that are rising up against you be defeated. When they come at you in one direction, let them flee from you in seven directions. 
May the Lord send a blessing on everything you put your hand to do. May He continue to establish you as His holy people. May all people see you've been called by the name of the Lord. May the Lord grant you prosperity, opening up the heavens, the storehouse of His bounty. May He bless the work of your hands. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody gave a shout of amen. Amen, the Lord bless you. Have a great day. Your name is power. Your